Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 111th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the talented Georgian-British folk, jazz and blues singer-songwriter Katie Mellower, who is one of the UK's best-selling female artists ever. This interview took place in London in early 2004, when Brit school graduate Katie was only 19, yet her career was taking off partly thanks to her first manager and producer, Mike Batt. Katie's debut single, The Closest Thing to Crazy, had gone top 10, and her debut album, Call Off the Search, was about to not only make number one, it would become Britain's fifth biggest selling album of the year. For her second single, Katie was about to release the title track from that album. Well, Call of the Search was one of the first tracks that were recorded when I got together with Mike. It was, I think it's, it's the more bluesier side than the previous single. I mean, the song itself is about, you know, finding someone and anyway, calling for search, you know, not having to search for that, that, that one person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So it's like a romantic love song. I guess that applies for many things in life, when you finally found something, you know, like, you know, peace in your mind or, or you know, happiness with yourself. And, and it applies to many things, I think, not just... I didn't write this song. There's a few, few on the album that I've written. There's a few that Mike's written. This is one of Mike's called Search Mike. Then there's a few old jazzy music covers. Your album's now number five, I think, in the mid-year yeah. chart. How surprising is that to you? I mean, you're absolutely gobsmacked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, you kind of make the music that you love doing and that you've always made, and that it turns out to be successful is great. And I'm so happy with the fact that, you know, I'm not with a huge major and we haven't had, like, huge, you know, coverage and, and billions of dollars behind advertising and things like that. So, so you kind of know that it must be the music that people are loving and that... That is what they're buying it for, so that is the best best feeling in the world. What's been the sort of moment of realization for you that, well, I mean, I'm number five on the chart, or has it not even No, it still hasn't, no. Yeah. It's still kind of like, you know, I'm still sort of Katie and you know, going around shooting, you know, trains and uh, It's just, it's weird because it's just a number and you don't quite actually realize what that actually means. And I, I still haven't really, uh, you know. I guess a lot of artists go to number, you know, not a lot, but there are many artists that have gone to number five in the album charts, and it's a great achievement, I'm very proud. But we'll see what happens next. But have you seen, like, a poster of yourself on a, on a bus or something? Or on a no, that hasn't happened. Have okay. you been in the record shop and seen your album? Yeah, that, that, yeah, I sort of walked in trying to buy something, and like, whoa, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a bit weird. That must be very weird. Yeah. It is very strange. It's, uh, you sort of just take it in, really, like, wow. Whether it's a record shop or the press, media, whatever, they like to categorise you as a uh, star or folk star. What, what it, how do you think you should be categorised? Um, I would say sort of a mix between blues and folk and jazz. Right. That would probably be the category I would put myself in. So they call you a pop star, is not correct? Probably not. I mean, what does the word pop mean? I mean, it, it's a shortage of popular and... The word popular means something that the majority of people like. But today, pop has gotten a different meaning of, you know, manufactured singers and, and, and performers. So um, it just depends what the term means, really. And many people, including myself, find your songs very moving. Do you find them moving when you're either writing or performing? 
yeah, you do get a sort of sense of, uh, I don't know, when you when you read a lyric, if, if I haven't written a song, let's take a song that I haven't written myself, and if I read a lyric, I will find the song moving, and then I will try to take something out of myself to add to that. When I've written a song of my own, it is something, you know, you draw from your experiences and from your emotions, and so... And so you, you really try and make the best you can out of a song, the best performance. I don't know if I listen back to it, do I find it moving? No, I think as an artist, when you listen back to your work, you sort of notice all the, all, all the you know, technical things, all the imperfections, all the, all the good bits, all the bad bits, all the, you know, the weird bits and things like that. So you, you can't, I don't think you can ever listen to your... I just find it very weird because as an artist, it's very hard for me to judge my own work. So only going by what other people say. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So when someone says that's crap, I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right, that is crap. So, um, yeah. Do you immediately scrap it if someone says it's crap? Do you get very sensitive it? It depends how many people have told me that it's crap or how many people have, you know, if, if say, five people have told me that's an amazing song and one person tells me that it's crap, then I won't scrap it. But if, if I play it to the first person and he says it's crap and then I play it to the second person and they also say, oh, I don't like it, then I will scrap it. What does move you to tears? What last moves you to tears? Um... I love listening to, you know, performers and singers and, uh, and their interpretation of things. And, I mean, Eva Cassidy, for example, is, is, a, is a brilliant singer. Feels good. Yeah, that's great. Actually, for me, the song that moves me to tears is Time After Time. Uh, no, sorry, it's on the Time After Time album, but it's called um, The Anniversary Song. That is amazing. By Eva Cassidy? Yeah, uh, well, she didn't write it, she, she sings it, and it's yeah. the most amazing song done in the most amazing way. So I'd say that's the one that... You know, and I wrote a song about her as well. So I was, you know, just dedicated to all the other singers that my generation hasn't really had the chance to experience. You know, Have you learn. had any response from her family or her loved ones? Um, not not from her family, but I've had responses from some various people that have worked with her and uh, various DJs that have, you know, that first, you know, got like for example, Paul Waters, Tara Wogan, um, and. I think her record producers and, and people like that, so that's great to that's great to know. And Mellow, what, what does that mean? Uh, is it a Georgian name? It is, yeah. Right. It's um it's a Georgian name, and it means um each Georgian name is is from a different part of Georgia, and uh, and my name comes from Guria, which is in the mountains in Georgia. So uh, I mean that's the descendant of the name. Has it been suggested that you change your name because it's kind of <laughs> or, or do they think it's a good one? Um, initially, me and Mike did, did think, should we perhaps change it? But we couldn't come up with anything, so no, no, not really. I couldn't really be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no. Your brother and you are Georgian or Irish or English? Or what are all definitely Georgian. I mean, we have been living in England for 10 years. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, we're definitely Georgian. Both our parents are Georgian. My dad's a, a half Russian. So it makes me call to Russian. Um, but I have obviously grown up in in the UK, and I've you know been growing up with with the ideas of how you, how you brought up in in the UK. You know this whole kind of way of life and, and things like that. Yeah. You must have had a variety of accents throughout your life, oh, even yeah. though you haven't lived very long. But no, I have had definitely right. I mean, the last the, when I went to live in Ireland, I, I I you know started talking in a Northern Irish accent. I think I would have probably retained it if I'd stayed there for longer or if I had come here a bit later enough because I came here and I was 13, so that's still quite young and I changed my accents when I came over here. I don't know why. It's just, I guess you try to fit in when you're that age. And, yeah. you know. 
I think your dad's sort of a heart surgeon, or has been, and now is trained to be a GP. Yeah, that's what, uh, what about your mum? What sort of work has she been involved she, in? Um, she's been a night nurse. I think they met at university right. back in Georgia, yeah. And have you ever sort of sat in on your dad's operations or anything like that? Or I have, actually. I style? <laughs> I did, um, in Belfast, they have this thing called Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And my dad, my dad took me to work, um, and I actually went in to watch a bypass operation happening. And, and there was this, this guy who was, you know, chest open, uh, and his leg was open. They were taking a valve or something from there and uh, putting it in, and you could kind of, you know, see his lung going over his heart. And it was really, I was, how, I was twelve or eleven, so. Uh, but I was, no, no, I was quite a hard little kind of, yeah, I can take it, but you do think, oh, like, oh my God, you know, I didn't expect it to be like this. But, um, no, it was cool. It was, it was very intense, you know. Your uh, early days in Georgia uh, have been portrayed as being pretty grim and bleak, really. Did that sort of make you very eager to succeed? Because a lot of people from difficult backgrounds have sort of gone, right, I'm really going to show something. Um, that's interesting. Perhaps it did. Perhaps it did, but... I mean, I love Georgia. I mean, I even though there's, it's it's strange because when you live there, I mean, the things, for example, that I described about my life there was, you know, I didn't have any, you know, there's no electricity most of the time, no hot water, but that was the norm there, and so you get used to that, and so, and you know, what you what you love about life is your friends and your family, and you know, the great times that you have around, you know, a little candle, you know, on at one evening when there's no TV, and so, so I guess from. From a Westerner's point of view, that does seem a very bleak life, but I actually had a great childhood in Georgia, you know, it's such a great place, there's no materialism, well there is obviously, but not as much as there is here. No, I, don't, I was never really that ambitious, it, I think it's just me being, you know, really loving music so much and wanting people to hear it. I read that, you know, a lot of the people in Georgia were, were quite musical, they used to play yeah. musical a lot. Did that include your own family, your own parents? And yeah, parents I mean, stuff? even though my mum, you know, is in the medical, you know, she yeah. she plays the piano and, and she actually used to sing as well when she was younger, so that's really cool. And uh, yeah, almost everyone in Georgia plays the piano or, or sings or, or whatever. So was it sort of hearing that that infiltrated you and made you... Yes, it probably was. Yeah. And it was also a mixture of hearing music from the western world as well I mean my uncles were, were really into the whole 80s rock thing that was happening um, like I don't know Led Zeppelin Queen Black Sabbath all that kind of thing yeah and that kind of stood out for me as well that was very interesting and, and you started piano lessons pretty young yourself I never had piano oh, lessons sorry, singing, singing lessons. no it's fine singing, singing lessons yeah um, not really it was kind of I would just sing, and, and it was actually one of our neighbours that said, oh, your daughter should have singing lessons. And mum said, do you think so? And she said, yeah, I've got a friend who's a really amazing teacher singing. And uh, so I used to sing quite a lot. I would, I was very kind of um, quite a lively kid, and me and my friend were always put on shows and things like that, you know, little plays and, and things like that. This is when I was five or six. I can't remember very well, but one of my neighbours must have heard, and she had a friend who, who was a singing teacher. She said, why don't you take your daughter to her? And, so we did, and that's how my singing lesson started. So when you started, did your singing teacher or anybody say, goodness, that really is a special voice, or you're going to be very successful one day? I guess they do, but I never really had that. I was, right. never, I was never the best singer in class, or the best performer in class, or the best, you know. There was a lot of other girls. If, if, 
for example, like five years ago, I was at, um, at a college or something, and, some, and somebody asked the teacher, who out of all these people, all your you know, class, would you think is going to be famous, going to make it big? I would probably be like number you know, 50 down the list, you know, or, or something, you know. I was never, I was quite a shy person actually when I was, you know, growing up. So do you think all those people in the class then would be really shocked that you are where you are now? I guess they must be. I, I've got my really closest friends who I always speak to and, and I think they, they're not shocked, you know, they've always known that I've loved music and the type of music that I create and stuff, so I, I haven't had that, you know, that response from them, but I guess people who didn't know me as much, who never heard me sing, probably did think, oh, you know, how did she do it when, you know, she rarely used to, you know, do the concerts and things like that in school. I think people always thought I was a really nice little girl, you know, just a nice little girl that probably didn't have enough, you know, drive or the, or the yeah, or the, or the need to be famous, and, and I never did have that, you know, need to be famous, I never wanted to be that, that much, it was just... I just love music so much and I just love singing and uh, I'm not saying, you know, oh, I didn't want any of this. I, I, I've always wanted people to hear my music and that's great to finally achieve that. Who else famous has come from Georgia? Stalin. <laughs> um, I think there has been a few opera singers, but I can't remember their names, I'm afraid. But, but Stalin is the most famous one I can think of, to be honest. Talk about a few rock stars. Who have been your favourites when you were younger? Yeah, posters when I never had any posters actually. But I guess I, when I was, you know, really young, like 12, 11, I was into the Spice Girls thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Emma was my favourite. I think what I really liked about it was the whole idea of that whole girl, girl power thing. I mean, that was such a such a new thing that was coming out, you know. Um, as an as a 11 year old girl, you're like, yeah, you know, you hate boys at that age and you're like, you know, I don't want to know boys and stuff. So that was a very kind of you know, exciting thing for me back then. Did you ever see them live? No, no, I didn't go that far. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you sort of, that was just a phase I went through, and um, I think everyone did if they were my age, probably at that time. But then you sort of grow up, and then you hear real music, and you're like, wow, you know, what have I been listening to for the last sort of, five years? So what, what was it that you grew up and thought, It was really when I went to the Brit school, and, and part of lessons, we got, we got to hear a lot of music, and, and also it was actually... I think my boyfriend played a huge part because he was always such a Puritan musician. He was always into, you know, Jeff Buckley and, and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, and he really got me into that. And I was like, you know, this is this is really it. And Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, as I say, um, you know, so many great old artists that that we just don't have the same, you know, scope of today, really, which is a shame. Um, I'm going to your website. I think it was that you won a competition of 15 stars up there. Yeah. <laughs> It was on ITV. Yeah, it, no, it was like it was a kids' program right. called. Uh, it was on CITV Mad for it, and it was it was taking the piss of of stars up their eyes in their eyes. What it was was I, I went to this kind of youth hostel thing uh, in Battersea, which was um, kind of R and B music and things like, and dancing. But I didn't. I never really danced a lot. I just sang. And um, there was like a little festival thing that they did, and I did quite well at that. And then they'd approached somebody from the TV program, had approached the people and said, "Do you have anyone that you think would be good for this funny little show?" But it's you know they have to be you know good, just just a bit a little bit good. And uh, and so they approached me, and I said, "Yeah, but I, I definitely do." And you won a bedroom makeover. Yeah. <laughs> and an armchair it, it was it was it wasn't actually a bedroom makeover. That was you know nice. Um, you know, the way they said it, it was actually 
MFR vouchers of £500. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was great. It was great for, you know... So you spent it on a bit of a makeover. Yeah, that's right. And you bought your dental armchair. Yeah, that's right. And whereabouts is the Brit School, by the way? It's in Croydon, more specifically in Selhurst. What's the school like? Is it a bit like Fame Academy or whatever? No, it's... It's very much like an arts place, you know. There's, there's they do art there and media and um, and music and dance. Um, I mean, the course I did was was the music part, and so that covered music history, music theory, as well as music performing. There, there wasn't any dancing. I can't dance to save my life. Um, no sense of rhythm. No, I can have a sense of you know when you're out, you know, clubbing, but not not sort of you know. Yeah, so it was a very serious course. It wasn't like a. But there was a musical theatre course, which is, which I would call them all, because they were very energetic, live people, and, and it was like intense. And presumably, the whole idea of the place is to produce people like yourself. Have they produced anyone else? Floetry. Do you know Floetry? They got nominated for the Mercury Awards. Right. That was. I mean, they they and they're actually really big in America. Right. They're not as known over here, so they came from the bits. Actually, also Amy Winehouse. She came from the bits, so that's really cool. Do you think it has prepared you for what you've experienced so far? No, because you don't get taught about, you know, the given interviews and, and the psychological, you know, things that happen and, and how to deal with, you know, fame and, and things like that. So, but it does prepare you in, in the musical sense. It absolutely prepares you to, to know what to do with music, to know how to record songs, to know, you know, arrangements and things like that. And did anyone tell you when you first arrived there or whenever that you were... Going to be, you were very gifted, or no? As it was at the Brits that there was always, you know, the most amazing singer. That definitely was not me. You know, right. I, I just always work, I just like to work with various different people, and I was like listening. I never really fitted in at the Brits. I thought. I mean, it was as in not you know not sort of friends was I made great friends, but more it was very R and B dominated. That was the type of music it was. And at first I tried doing that, but it doesn't it didn't really feel quite right. I was more acoustic and and you know jazzy, and not a lot of other people were doing that there. So um, I tried to sort of get the bands together, but I always found it very frustrating to get all the blokes to kind of you know rehearse with you. And so I thought screw them, I'm going to do it myself and I so, so I thought I'd play my own instrument and that's the, the simplest, easiest way to do it you know, you can you can do as much rehearsals as you can without you know, dealing with everyone's you know, personalities and things like that So, when did you leave and did you leave early? Or? No, I finished my two year course it was in BTEC and, and Music A-Level When was that? When did you finish? Uh, 2003, summer of 2003 yeah. Did you sort of graduate with honours or whatever? Yeah, I've got distinction so that's <laughs> you didn't really start songwriting until a couple of years ago. About four years ago. Oh, really. four years ago. Yeah. Okay. Right. So why do you think it took you so long? Because you obviously turned out to be a bit of a natural. I think it was because music was always my hobby up until then. It wasn't singing. It, singing was just something you know I did and that I was fairly good at, and it wasn't like an aspiration. But it was when four years ago when I started hearing all these great artists and and when I. My dad actually bought me a little studio at home, which was really great of him. And uh, and then I started writing, and then that's when I got really into it, really into it. And it just music became everything, you know. You kept all your songs that you've written even since the first. Yes, I have. <laughs> so you look back and yes, totally. Right. Oh my God, so what's they won't wrong be with them? Out of the closet, won't they? I hope not. In a box <laughs> and um, how did Mike Back come to, to know you? He came to the Brits College actually. He was looking around. I think he was searching for like a, a jazz band. 
and a jazz sort of singer and stuff. And my teacher suggested various names. He didn't suggest my name because he didn't think I was good enough. But I, I went in anyway just to let him hear my song that I'd written because I knew he was a songwriter and I thought you know, this might be an opportunity. And so uh, I played him Faraway Voice, which was a song I'd written about Eva Cassidy. He's actually a huge fan of Eva Cassidy and he really liked the song and, and liked the way I sing, sang it. And, um, and he said, can you sing jazz bluesy songs? And I said, I'll give it a try. And, um, and after that, we had a few sort of sessions where he played me some of his tracks and I really liked it. And he liked how I sang them and I played him some more of my tracks and he liked them. So it sort of, it started like that and then, you know, we made the album. How did it feel to have someone home in on you like that? No, you never really know what you're, you know, what's going to happen. It was just such a privilege to, to work with him, you know, because he, he'd done so many great things and he'd written so many great songs. And you didn't know any of those I didn't. No, no, not at all. I didn't know. I didn't even know the Wombles or you know any of that. I had no idea. It was more as I got to know him, I found out what his history was and. No, they. No, this happened sort of afterwards, really. Yeah. You know, once I sort of started, to, you know, because I didn't really know much about him or anything. So. Uh, and how and when were the Mongols explained to you? <laughs> Did he explain? Did he say, "Oh, by the way, people might ask you about me"? No, it wasn't ever like that. It was just he, he had little. He had a door of the Wombles, and he had little. You know, on the um the walls where they have those gold silver discs yeah, and gold yeah. discs, and he had of the Wombles and I said oh you know who are the Wombles and he said oh it, it's this little kind of toy kind of um, cartoon yeah for kids yeah. Or, and I do actually remember I do actually remember watching it the cartoon scene yeah, yeah I think they did yeah I think they did they did a record didn't they a few Christmases ago so I kind of remember that on the back of my mind and then and then I saw you know him making writing bright eyes with at Garfunkel and, and Simon and Garfunkel were, you know, greatest artists of all time. And um, so I was like, wow, did you really get to work with one of these bands? And, and he said, yeah, and I wrote the song and he played his mind going, that's great. So. so what did you think of the Wombles? Did you look at Mike in a different way after that? No, not really. It was just kind of, no, I sort of asked him what he did. And, and yeah, he'd done that, but he'd done so many other great things that completely overshadowed yeah. the Wombles, you know. So to me, it didn't really matter at all. He didn't sit you down to watch the videos. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Although he has so many great stories about about you know Wombo stories, right. you know really funny ones. And people keep comparing you to Laura Jones. Are you a fan of hers? I I am a, I'm quite a big fan of hers. Um, it's it is very flattering to compare to her because she's been hugely successful. But I think the music is quite different. I've had a lot of people say this, you know. There's a lot more variety. I mean, she's, I would say she's a bit more strictly blues. And I, I would say I'm probably a bit more jazzy and um, folkier. So uh, it's different. It's, it's very different. I mean, we're very different type of characters, I would say, as well, you know. I love that record, that first record she made. It's so relaxing and really just lovely. I think my record is probably a bit more, I don't know, probably lyrically a bit more different. Do you know what I mean? I mean, her songs are more kind of this beautiful record you put on in the background kind of thing to listen to and just really lovely and she's such a brilliant pianist you know and it's great that she plays the piano on it um, but ours is I don't know I, I find it very different it's hard to explain 
I find it How very difficult. How would you feel if someone said your record is nice to put on in the background? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that's a great thing. I think you always have to listen to a record very carefully. I like to listen to songs very carefully. I most definitely have listened to hers very carefully and I'm very impressed by the musicality. And one of the nicest records of, I'd say, my generation, to be honest, because, you know, it's so successful, but it's not defined just by the success, but it's, I don't know, it's so lovely. It's such a, such a lovely record. What do you think of it? Do you oh, like it? Really yeah, nice. yeah, it's really nice. How did your album come, come about? What were, you, what were your sort of expectations for it? You might come into the Brit School one day and say, right, put your deal or whatever. No, it was uh, kind of built up itself. It was he played me some of his songs, I sang them, we recorded them. I played him some of my songs, you know, I sang them, we recorded them. We found out some jazz songs, we sang, and so we just we recorded a lot of songs, and then we kind of thought, you know, what's the best way to put this first album in? And and it really felt that it really it's it wanted its, itself to be a singing album rather than a very songwriting album from my side. So we made that, and there was a few songs on the, on the record that I'd written that were quite political, almost didn't fit with it. So, so I said, let's leave them off, actually. Let's, let's make this what, what it is. Let, let's let it be what it wants to be and, and see what happens in the next, next two albums or next three albums. When you learned, though, that you know, he was interested in working with you and that you were going to make an album, did you sort of have a celebratory evening with your parents thinking... No, not at all. It was a very gradual thing that happened. It wasn't. There wasn't ever a thing like, I'm going to make you start. It wasn't at all like that. It was kind of, you know, we'd get together, you know, we'd start slowly working. We'd, you know, even when we started making the album, we didn't go, this is it. It wasn't at all like that. So I mean, what, what were your expectations when you finished it? Did you just think, well, it'll... No, I didn't. I actually or... really, really liked it, and I hoped that it would do, it would do as well as it has. I mean, I... I had no idea that it would do so well, but it was just a record that me and Mike made that we really enjoyed doing. And he, he was so ambitious, you know, he really wanted to, to get it done. And it was very frustrating for both of us because um, we went around to a lot of record companies and they all felt that it wasn't quite commercial enough and they didn't think it would sell. They thought it was a bit too So now too that it has, are you thinking... <laughs> It's nice that they've come back now and they're interested and that's that's great. But no, you don't kind of go, you know, kind of like that. No, it's it's just it's just flattering that they that they've kind that they've finally seen. You know, it, although it's frustrating for me as a listener and for a person who's been born in this era, thinking now how many other artists have they turned down who could have been amazing, who who weren't as lucky as I was, having you know been able to be with Mike, who was able to release the record on his own label. Everybody latched on to your single, The Closest Thing to Crazy. Does that frighten you in a way that it's always going to be, that's the big one, and you've got to emulate that somehow? No, because I've got other songs that I know. Think they're stronger? Yeah. Right. That me, you know, me and Mike would both think that. No, I mean, it's a great record. And, um, Did you think, though, when you were recording, that was the one? Not at all. That was such an accident. We weren't even going to record that song. Mike, Mike played me um, this demo tape of his in one of our sessions, and he said... Uh, it was an album that he'd made a long while ago. It never got released. And it was a song, and I said, mm, not really, it's not very good. And I read I read the sleeve notes of another another lyric. It said, um, this is the closest thing to crazy I've ever been feeling close to Jack I said, oh, what's this? Play this play this one. He said, well, I'm not sure. This is It's a good one, but I don't think it'll be right for us. He played it to me, and I said, no, this is it. We have to record it. And we just recorded it, and um, it was very nice. It was a great song to sing, but we never thought it would do so well. And, 
we didn't even we weren't even going to release it as a singer. There was a point actually when Mike was going to take it off the album. Just he, didn't, he thought it was too slow. And you, your music has kind of been championed by Terry Wogan. So how did you first hear that he was a fan, as it were? Well, what it was was um, Paul Walters, Terry Wogan's producer, was actually a fan of Mike's. And when Mike sent Paul the, the record, he played it. He played a few right, a few songs from the album and Crazy to Crazy was the one that brought the feedback. And it wasn't like, uh, you know, Terry suddenly became my fan. It was just this gradual thing that happened, you know. He kept playing it and people kept calling in and saying, requesting it, and he kept playing it. And so, you know... I imagine you must be quite grateful to Mr. Wogan. Yeah, and, and absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, they've both been absolutely brilliant. And also, Jazz FM has been another one. And on your website also, Mike refers to your beautiful hypnotic eyes. <laughs> How do you feel about the effect of your looks on your career? It's quite discerning sometimes, because I think that artists get in the way of music. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like... The best way to, to have a completely pure, you know, opinion of, of, of a song or, or a singer or, or whatever is to just, just hear the music and know nothing else about who it is, how they did it, what the background is. That's that's the purest way, I think. I think that would be the ideal world, but it isn't. That's the way the world works. You know, looks matter, which is which is unfortunate, you know, and, and I guess I look the way I look and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it, but... Um, I don't know. Are you, are you concerned then that people will say she's only doing well because she's good looking? Yeah, but I hope they'll they'll hear the record and, and think actually no, you know the songs. I, I hope, yeah, I hope so. Have you had any remarks such as that? Not yet. No. But to be honest, I'm not. The, I don't really sort of make myself sort of you know wear dress. I'm not a skirts person, so I don't really flaunt my sexuality at all. So I would hope people won't say that I'm quite a shy person so I, I don't know I don't think do you keep in shape though exercise and so on keep no not really no I just no I don't at all you're young enough not to have to worry about that right? <laughs> hopefully and I hope as I get older if I put on weight I won't worry about it then I mean I don't know I don't know what's going to happen in the future but I hope because I really think you know looks shouldn't really matter I know it's a very nice thing to say but um, it's just the way I feel no, no. Oh, of course I do. Of course I have long skirts, but I mean skirts that have implications and you know show your body off, and, and it's like imply that you, you really want to sell your body rather than your music, that type of thing. And it's not just skirts; it could be hot pants or or it, it could actually be a dress, but that is incredibly sexy, and that's just not really what I want to put out there. So you don't have any short skirts and no hot pants at all? No, I do have short skirts that, okay. I, that I wore in the summer and stuff, but not right. not that sort of... You wouldn't wear them for a photo shoot or a video? No, I think there's a way of doing it. I mean, for example, I think you can wear a skirt, a short skirt, but if you don't dance or... Do you know, I think you know what I mean. It's Yeah, it's, it is. It's the, it's the kind of, you know, doing that whole thing. I mean, for example, I, I have actually... In the video, I do wear a short skirt, you know, in, in the video that we filmed. It's close thing to crazy. Yeah, I do. But it's it's the way it's done. It's not flaunting your... It's not me dancing around, you know, taking off my... Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. How do you feel about the likes of her and Britney Spears flaunting it, as they do? Um, I find that things like that usually have little to do with music. But it's a tricky one with Christina Aguilera because she's actually a brilliant singer, you know? And what I do admire about her is that she has the confidence to do it and 
And she always say, you know, I'm a powerful woman and I have the confidence and I'm happy with my body and I'm happy with the way I look. And I think that's a good message to be putting out there. But I don't know if that encourages young girls to sleep around or things like that. And, and is that a good thing? I think we should ask ourselves that. So you never do a lads' mag role? Have you ever been approached to do in the years? Um, you asked to do I've done GQ, actually. Yeah. GQ, yeah, I did that. I had the photo shoot the other week. But that was done... You know, to our conditions, you know, and doing it in an arty way, in a decent, very nice way, that that isn't too provocative and stuff. I mean, the way you look at it is, I obviously do have my standards, but if just, you know, getting my hair done will make someone hear my music and that introduces them to my music, I'm willing to do that in a way. Do you know know what I mean? You can't obviously close yourself off completely and say, you know, I'm never going to do that. Because um, I'd like to let as many people as I can to listen to initially hear the, hear the songs. And if, if unfortunately that is what gets them to hear it, that's the way it is. You always the decision to, to keep things very proper and correct and everything. Is that Mike Matt telling you it's a good way to sort of <laughs> longevity in the career? Uh, or no. Or is that your parents no. saying, they, don't you ever take your shows? No, it's, it's really me. It's just, I just don't want to be known for the pretty girl that was famous. I want to be known for the girl who made brilliant songs, you know. I want to be known for my music, not for how I look. Yeah. What percentage of your fans are made? For some reason, quite a lot. And I found that when um, when we did the signing at Virgin Megasource, there was a lot of boys, but what I actually found, and Mike actually said, there's a, the majority is actually men, but when I was actually signing, they kept asking for, you know, do it for my mum and for my sister and for my daughter and do you know what I mean? So that was... That was quite interesting. But I would say, I'd say more women listen to my record, you know? How much fan mail do you get? On the website, there's a guess with that. A lot of fans yeah. seem to, you know, and that's that's great. And, yeah, I've gotten a few sort of little sort of kids writing to me saying, can I have a signed picture and stuff. So that's great. And it hasn't been, like, a huge load or anything. But... Do you feel already that you are in a position where you've got to be responsible and set an example? No, not right? really. No, because... I don't think I'll be one of those stars that will be in the public limelight. Because there are a lot of different type of fame levels, aren't there? Yeah, if your record's number five in the charts, you're going to get press, whether you like it or yeah, not. Yeah, you are going to get press, but you won't get press if you don't go clubbing out every night with some celebrity, you know, supposed boyfriend. But if you sort of go down to your pub, you know, party with your mates who, you know, down in Brighton or something, you're not likely to... It's kind of like Dido, for example, you know, she... She like has been so successful, but she hasn't had like what her hairstyle is like on the fifth of January, or what her butt button looks like on like a beach somewhere in Barbados or something. Like that. I do sometimes think it's fame really for me because I'm quite an inward person. Mm. It said that you feel guilty spending money. What, what, what do you do with your money then? <laughs> you save it. Um, yeah, I try to save it. It's kind of a weird feeling because I don't know. It's it's hard for some reason to spend money. I guess it's because I know that in if I was in Georgia, like, this 10 quid could, like, feed a family for, like, a week. And it, it's it, it's very hard to, to spend it on, like, a pair of trousers. I mean, you can't, really buy, you, you can't even buy a pair of trousers to take it on unless it's, like, in a charity shop or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to do that, you know, when you know that money could be used for something else that's easier. People probably assume that you're loaded already <laughs> yeah. having sold millions of Yeah, I know, I know. Have you had begging letters? No, I haven't, like, because I'm not loaded <laughs> at all. I mean, you know, these things sort of take time, the way the, way the music industry works. You don't get... Everything has to be recouped, and, and a lot of people probably don't understand that because, you know, they don't know what 
how, how the financial things work in this thing. I mean, you know, everything that has been spent on you, you know, promotion and PR and, and all that stuff. And because it's, it's with an independent company, even though it's not as much as a major company would spend, it's still a lot of money. And um, before I make any money, that has to be paid back, you know, so that's the way. So have you made any money? No, I, no, not at all. Not on the record sales. Maybe then what the arrangement is with this album and any future albums. Yeah, it's a five-album deal. deal. Right. Five-album deal, hopefully, that, that I'll be able to make with Dramatico. Are you putting the money away, though, for a rainy day or for your parents or whatever? Or yeah, I think the first, the, yeah, the first bit of money I'd probably like to sort of help my parents out for something, you know. Right. Pay back a few loans and things like that because, you know, every family has that because we've got a mortgage out and things like that so. it's often said that when somebody becomes famous it's not them who change it's the people around them have you noticed the people that you've known for years or whatever have changed because you've suddenly become famous not really because I've got quite a close circle actually that I've you know I've got my my really best friends that I know that I've known since God knows when and I know they've never changed and I've got my boyfriend who's I've been with for two years and I know he never changed my parents are so supportive so uh, no I think not at all if that were to happen it would probably be people that I'm acquainted with and not so you know not great friends with but that I haven't experienced that yet no. well, it's been a big fame moment for you though have you been spotted in the street or something no not once really no no, no I, I, I really like it that way <laughs> no I really like it that way yeah. I do you know it's I, you know I get the tube all the time yeah. Nobody says, is it? Because with your hair up, you do look incredibly different. Yeah, I think that's what, and that's that's a great advantage. Yeah. yeah. Have you had the advice from other artists that will always stay with you? I've no, I haven't had any sort of one-liner advices from other artists, but I've had I've had a good one from my grandparents actually back in Georgia. They said just always stay true to yourself and to your music, and then know why you're doing this, you know, which is for the music. And, and have you met any other artists at all? I have met a few artists, yeah. Just, have you met? I've met Hayley Westerner, you know. Oh, yes. I've met Busted. This is people from right. doing, you know, various shows that they do. I met Jamie Cullum as well. I met Mick Hucknell, which is sort of okay. really, you know, that that's the best one so far. Yeah. So, you know, I always find it so nice when they're, you know, real people and they talk to you just like normal people. Yeah. So it's really cool, yeah. Really nice. You fancy getting an autograph? <laughs> no, I don't. It's so weird because I don't understand the concept of an autograph. When I was a teenager, I did go to one... Um, it was an opening night for American Pie. And me and my friend, she dragged me along. She's like, yeah, there's going to be loads of stars there. And there was, you know, the, the actual cast of American Pie there. We were standing, you know, trying to get autographs. And we got autographs, but, you know, you're always trying to find scraps of paper, and it's so annoying. And then they scribble on it. It's like, this could have been me. I could have done it. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I can't read it anyway. So I don't really get it. I mean, obviously, it adds value to certain things, and, and that makes sense, but... You know, I, I always give give autographs when people ask for it. But Did you practice before you were ever asked? <laughs> no, no, not so at all. When were you first asked, and what was that moment like? Oh, the first time I was asked was um, I think it was when we were doing the string sessions in in no in Dublin. Right. Um, there was a girl that I think she'd won a competition or something to come and see a string orchestra <coughs> being right. recorded, and so I got to know her the other day, and she asked for it. And it wasn't like a ooh, you know, this is Maybe special. Yeah, it was. I did feel a bit like, oh, what, what do you want mine for? You know, you get one She's of those. the first one. Right? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And um, you did the Royal Variety Performance, as you, as you explained. What did it mean to you to meet the Queen? Are you a bit of a royalist? No, I'm not. I'm quite very sort of open about it. I mean, 
I went to a Catholic school, and so, you know, the Catholics hate the wars because... But they don't hate them personally, but just the whole idea of... Because it's England, and, it, and, and they don't want to be ruled by the Queen, they want to be ruled by Ireland. So I kind of grew up probably not quite liking them, but then when I came over here, you know, they're not really that bad, they're just... They, they do loads of work for charity, which is great. You know, they're, they're just people at the end of the day that... Um, when you were going, were your parents very excited? Were you going to say, make sure you're committed this morning? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I wasn't sure if I was actually going to get to meet the Queen because I didn't, you know, because I, I saw, I remember seeing the show once before, but I didn't really know if everyone that performed got to meet or if certain people got to meet her and stuff like that. So no, I didn't really know. And she said, um, it's like, I heard your record on the radio. And I said, oh, that's nice. And she said, uh, it's, it's very nice, isn't it? I said, yes, it is very nice. Thank you very much. And then she moved on. <laughs> So that was very sweet. No, she looked exactly like she does on the telly. Right. Yeah, she's a sweet little, you know, granny. <laughs> yeah, you did get that feeling, yeah. kind of. Are you going to tour? Yeah, we're doing a tour in um, end of February, early March of the UK. That's your first ever tour. How scary is that? Yeah, I don't think it's scary. It's very exciting. Very exciting. You don't have much nerves about getting up the no, I think that's that's the main part of my job, you know. I think that's the that's the thing that I do. That's, you know, all this is just the bits on the side, but and that is the main thing. And so I shouldn't feel scared about that. And over here, you like to play Wembley Arena or Hampstead? No, we're going to play Shepherd's Bush again. Okay. So. Keeping it uh, yeah. quiet for you to start. With. Yeah, I mean that's the type of music it is. I think it's quite intimate type of music. So. Do you fancy doing the, the Wembley Stadium in these one day, or is it you just going to Yeah, but it would probably be with different type of music, you know? I can't really see doing this album at somewhere like Wembley Arena. It wouldn't work as a... It wouldn't work for the audience, I think. You know, it's a very intimate album, and I'd like to look at the audience in the eye, and I'd like them to see me and, and, and to hear me, you know, really well. So uh, it would probably have to be different type of music. And do you get up and dance around, or you just... Um, I'd like to think that uh, I put on a good show, but that doesn't necessarily involve dancing around. <laughs> no. And um, I've read that you think it would be offensive to, to mine. Mm-hmm. Have you been asked to mine? And have you actually said, no, I won't, I'm doing it? Before? I haven't been asked to mine, which is great. Right. I did hear, before I sort of started doing TV shows, that actually various TV shows simply don't have the facilities to, put, to do live vocals. But I haven't come across that yet, which is great. So I've been able to do everything live so far. What do you want to achieve with your life? I really want to make great music. Even when after I've gone and even after, you know, my initial career has faded, say, 50 years down the line, people can still listen to it. Even if it's not the whole world, just just a few people that I like, you know, that re- music really touched me and it really meant something to me. What do you most fear in life? Not making it? No, I don't feel that at all. Um... That the world and, and people sort of disintegrate into um, a warlike state and you know an unloving state, but I don't think that will happen. And if it does all go badly, obviously you don't expect it to. You mean my career or the yeah, world? Career, oh right, yeah. What would you do? Um, I'd still be into music. I'd I'd probably write for other people. Perhaps if if music completely goes belly up for me, I would probably learn about music history and go into that a bit. You know, that's very fascinating for me. Is it quite a worrying stage? Because they always say the first album, that's fine, but the second one is a really difficult Yeah. Part. I'd like to think not. I'm really looking forward to the second album. I'm really looking forward to the third album. I'm, you know, I really want to experiment with my music, see, see what it does.
finally, how do you want people to remember you after you've left this planet? Uh, by my music, by the music that I made.